piece of that thing. So, you are the doctor. We meet at last. I wondered if we ever would. You're listening to the Trapdoor Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Keith. So today we're going to talk about the evil of the Daleks, which is the latest Doctor Who story to get a vinyl release. An unexpected one, because it's quite a long one, but you know. Yeah, um, I think it's four discs, I think it comes on. Uh, or four deformed discs. Yeah. So disclosure right at the beginning, I'm not intending on buying it. <laughs> <laughs> I will buy it if it comes down significantly in price. I don't own a record player, so I will. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a proper economy, wouldn't it? It doesn't usually stop me, but just this once I'm going to be determined not to buy. So at the moment there's only one episode which is currently available for us to watch. Uh, is this a uh, story that's high on your wish list to be returned to the archives? I can actually remember it being discovered, I'm that old. I remember it was, um, it was announced in uh, the Duas um, Celestial Toymaker that it had been discovered, and at the time it felt like the most important thing ever. It was a bit like uh, Tomb of the Simon, but it was like one of those Holy Grail stories. Yeah. But I've noticed over the years, it sort of like lost its, um, its, its desire for instead of power. I think Power the Dogs has become like the zenith now, hasn't it? But uh, yeah, it would, it would be um, remarkable to see. I don't think it will now, because um, I think they've, they've compiled lists now of stuff that can be discovered, and I don't think it's on it now. But uh, animation, though, I think I'll be quite looking forward to seeing that, though. Yeah. yeah that, would, that would be good. Yeah. Now, once upon a time, I said no impossibles, but with things like faceless um, ones being uh, animated now, it's entirely possible because if they do do a season four box set, they'll do them all, won't they? So, fingers yeah, crossed. Absolutely. So, the uh, you mentioned it being discovered. Do you, do you know the story about how it was discovered? This was found on a car boot sale. Yeah. Was it one of those? Yeah, I always get confused with it. It's after all, ice rings, all Mormon churches, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but no, I'd never remember, but. Uh, yeah, sometime in the early 1980s, it was found on a car boot sale, um, and the guy who bought it didn't realise it was missing until about 1986, hmm. um, and then handed it back in. I remember it was first shown yeah. at a Doctor Who convention, I think it was for the, uh, um, doc, uh, the British one, and you can imagine the excitement of seeing yeah. that for the first time, yeah. So, pretty good car boot sale find. Have mm. you had any great Doctor Who car boot sale finds? I don't go to them. Because ah, okay. I've got enough stuff in my house as it is without uh, tempting myself <laughs> to uh, even more. My sister, however, is the queen of the car boot sales, so uh, every year for my birthday and Christmas, I just get this bag of taps yeah. she's picked up from these places. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I get it uh, by uh, default. Does she know to look out for episodes of The Evil of the Daleks? And... She just doesn't buy me anything Doctor Who at all, but... Uh, ah, okay. And if she saw it, unfortunately, if she saw an old uh, reel of uh, canister, she wouldn't buy that because it looked old and tatty. So, unfortunately, she's probably passed dozens of them without realising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Tenth Planet Part 4. Nah. Yeah, used as an asteroid, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so, this story follows on from the Faceless Ones, uh, which, as you mentioned, has been announced as next year's animated story. It's quite an odd one, because it sort of starts in another story and ends in another story as well, doesn't it? It sort of can't get finally resolved in tomb, really, doesn't it? Like the final shots of the TARDIS. They don't sort of end it properly until yeah. they get there, so it's a, it's a bit in the middle, this one. Well, I'd expected the wheel in space, because the, at the uh, on the Blu-ray and DVD of the Macro Terror, there's quite a substantial section that's been animated for the wheel in space. Plus it was advertised on Amazon somewhere as well, wasn't it? So whether there's there's been a problem or mm. whether we just really misconstrued it I don't know but yeah 
I, I believe we were going to get that one until it came on the macro. I thought, well, why would they waste that footage? Yeah. So unless it was going to be the one next one to be released, and it was like a little um, pre uh, foreshadowing of it or not. But uh, mm. no. But it seems to have gone out the window. As I'm sticking to my uh, season four box set theory. So, well, I think if we get the Highlanders next, I shall be uh, concerned. Somebody on on Twitter who works on the Blu-ray box sets, I think. I can't remember his name, but he seemed to, I think somebody put this to him, and he seemed to sort of suggest that there's no real plan, or no planning between the people who are putting together the Blu-ray box sets and the people who decide what's animated. Oh, that's so much of that theory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that he's basically just as surprised and excited as anybody when they announce what the next animation oh. will be. Um, I'm quite looking forward to Faceless Ones. It's not a story I know as well as others, so it'll be quite good, actually. Yeah, it's um, and um, and they're doing the whole thing, aren't they? They're not just doing um, the missing episodes; they're animating the whole show. Yeah, story again, aren't they? Because there's two episodes that exist. Is that right? Yeah, first Um, and third, maybe. Yeah, yeah, so they're going to animate those as well. Uh, Well, hopefully, the Blu-ray will have the option of the live-action episodes. I think they're including it all in it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think so, wouldn't you? Speaking of the faceless ones, this story starts on one of the most eventful days in Doctor <laughs> Who history. It is. Uh, it's the same day that Wotan and the War Machines are, are running amok in London. Mm-hmm. Chameleon's machinations are unfolding, uh, and Waterfield is springing the Dalek trap on the Doctor. You wait for one invasion and three take place at once. That's it, and, you, and the the relative scarcity of, of stories set in in kind of uh, on contemporary Earth. Uh, yeah, the, uh, during that period, and like you say, they all, they all come up at once. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, I've been reading Simon Guerrier's um, excellent Black Archive book on the Evil of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, something he points out is Evil of the Daleks is the first story that doesn't begin with the, the TARDIS crew arriving in a new location and having to figure out where they are. Really? Um, yeah, so they. Ah. Romans then. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, that <laughs> but I suppose there's an assumed scene in the Romans where they landed. That's where they've arrived and they fall off the cliff, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, I suppose we just missed the bit where they figure out where they are and when, and that there isn't an alien invasion happening, so they can just uh, sure enough kick back in the, and in whatever the, they get up to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the rumours. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a weird story as well. It's, it's sort of contemporary, historical, and set in the future on alien planets. It's like. Doctor Who encapsulated into one story, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's like three episodes of the uh, Return series <laughs> yeah. in one go. Yeah, like the first three of a, of a, of a new series mm. uh, yeah, lumped together. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that, that they're straight into it because obviously it's at Gatwick Airport where the Faceless Ones left off and the TARDIS is stolen. Um, so basically they're just kind of stuck and they, they have to find it, which I think... When you, you have, you know, haven't watched the new series for a number of years now, it feels like a, an analog problem for them to have. Like, yeah, I don't like in the new series, the sonic screwdriver would immediately take them to where the TARDIS was, or even summon the TARDIS, or give to them re- a bearing of where it was, or something. Yeah, yeah, or, or even just sort of summon the TARDIS to them, or to materialize around them, and, and that kind of thing. Um, whereas this is. We have to follow a trail of clues. It's quite nice that the clues are being deliberately set. Though. So even though the Doctor yeah. thinks he's being clever, he's actually being manipulated as well. So uh, if some of the clues seem a bit contrived, it's because exactly what they are. So I yeah. like that as an idea. It's very clever. Because yeah. they're quite sort of, uh, I don't know, like 
uh, secret seven or famous five sort of clues, aren't they, mm. to, uh, to, to come across and, uh, and, and get to the next place. Yeah, one related to smoking, which you probably wouldn't get past them these days, but with a matchbook. Yeah. I know, I'm left-handed, and I do things on the right all the time, so that wouldn't entirely work yeah. for me. <laughs> but, uh, I'm right-handed, but I deal cards with my left hand. There we are, then. So yeah. he'd never have found the TARDIS because yeah. the clues don't work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things like having him in a boiler suit that was too small. I thought, well, like that is an idea. It's quite a, a Holmesian thing to... Um, to do as well, wasn't it? Stuff like that. Yeah, and, and for the Doctor to be shrewd enough to, to, to pick all that up, it's, uh, it's cool. I really like the Doctor in the, the... I mean, I think Patrick Chan's Doctor's brilliant anyway, but the first first couple of episodes when he's, uh, he's doing all his deductions and uh, sort of talking Jamie through it all, it's, it's yeah. really good. And Jay Smith with his space hearing aid, I thought that was quite a novel idea. Because uh, mm. it sort of gives a uh, bit of an inkling there's more sort of like sophisticated technology for the day going on, wasn't it? Yeah. Written follow that car. Oh, that's for the taxi, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite an elaborate front that they've created here with the on the off chance the doctor turns up. Yeah. Unless they've sort of like looked at historical records and they know because of two prior invasions he's going to be there. So uh, I suppose you could link it in that way. But uh, it is a bit arbitrary. The doctor's just going to be there to follow all this stuff, unless they've got people all through history just waiting to like pick up a TARDIS and take it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I suppose you don't know how long. Waterfield has been waiting, or how long ago the antique shop was open. So, not to set up a shop, is it? Which is again, yeah. why? Set, well, I suppose it's part of the elaborate trap, isn't it? But he must have employed people and, and sold things and filled out tax returns and VAT and stuff like that. Yeah, he's, he's paying Kennedy and Perry and Hall, isn't he? Mm. Um, presumably with the profits of the genuine antiques that, that look brand new. It's one of the very small and exclusive number of Keiths in Doctor Who as well. Is it? I think there's him and Sir Keith Gould, and I think that's probably about it. That's from uh, Inferno, the other guy. Yeah. 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 I just happened to notice that when I was listening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can get a name check in Doctor Who. <laughs> I can't think of any Mark. Really? Got not such a popular name, but it's not going to be sad one, does it? Not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Mark the Travel Machine. Yes, yeah. And um, in uh, Terry Nation's Dalek Annuals, there's Mark 7. Oh, there you go. Again, you've got them, uh, whole to, uh, annual and audio series now, haven't you? So that's it, yeah. He's, um, but he's, he's the Mark 7 totally humanoid robot or something. He's <laughs> taking his full name. You can tell I've been watching a lot of Star Wars recently because I've just written It's a Trap in big letters. Yeah. <laughs> now, I really did enjoy the, the uh, investigative side. It's nice to see sort of like the Doctor piecing things together. It's... It's a shame that we can't see it because whether Troughton sort of like got a knowing look on his face or a curious look, it's something we simply have to guess at now, isn't it? Because you can't tell. Yeah, so and a, that's it. Just it would change a lot of the emphasis of the episode. And that's the 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 major downside of the animations, isn't it? That you you miss all, the, particularly from Patrick Troughton, mm. you miss a lot of the new ones when you when you watch one of his TV stories. It's probably one of the most expressive doctors. It's a shame, really, that. So much of his stuff is missing, but poetry can sort of guarantee what the expression was going to be and anticipate it. Whether that's because we have seen so many of them, or whether it was just he was a lot more um, of a stoic figure, wasn't he? But uh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, Troughton's often on the periphery as well, isn't he? And then he gives little, uh, get little looks. And, uh... A bit like an Avengers episode as well. It's sort of set in contemporary time, and then suddenly there's a uh, more of a science fiction spin, and then suddenly there's a strange room full of like alien stuff and a bizarrely a throne. But <laughs> yeah. there's a nice hint that there's something like sinister coming, but 
then again, that's given away by the title, really, because it hadn't been called Of the Daleks. Can you imagine how exciting that cliffhanger would have been? But uh, yeah, and once again, given away. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of um, a lot of people sort of make that point, because I, I was reading through the Evil of the Daleks entries in Running Through Corridors, uh, Rob Shearman and Toby Haydock's book. Uh, Love those books. Yeah, they're great. Um, but in the, in the Black Archive, Simon Gary makes a really good point, and he, he quotes... Um, Alfred Hitchcock um, about the difference between surprise and suspense and I thought it was a really good point um, he sort of makes the analogy of uh, there's two people sitting at a table and a bomb goes off underneath the table that's a surprise but if you show the audience that there's a bomb under the table but the characters don't know there's a bomb under the table right so we know the Daleks are coming so we're just anticipating then it, then it becomes suspense ah. and that's the difference between suspense and surprise so it's the audience knowing that the Daleks are going to turn up when the characters don't, and that any time they, they open a door or turn a corner or something, the Daleks are going to turn up at some point. And I thought that was a really nice way of putting it, and um, because it is a trope sort of thing, isn't it? Of, uh, of practically every Dalek story. Yeah, yeah that it's it's a cliffhanger in the first story, but the suspense for the audience is the first time you watch it is how are the Daleks involved, and and particularly in this one, it's modern day London, it's antiques and clues um, and there's nothing dalek about it at all, is there? Mm. True, I mean, the Emperor was having a really weird day that was like, you will set a load of clues, you will open a Victorian yeah. antique shop <laughs> <laughs> you will sell antiques which obviously aren't antiques, yet people will buy them anyway even though they look like reproductions but they are real, so uh, yeah, he was um, yeah, definitely on the berries that day, the uh, Emperor was Yeah, because yeah, the whole um, antique shop, obviously uh, could be used to, to make a lot of money. Um, I mean, that could be a whole plot, really, couldn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, and also because the I think it's a deleted scene or something like that from, well, not a deleted scene, but a, a, apart from the script that was never filmed, is the idea that Waterfield and Victoria live with Maxable because Waterfield was made bankrupt. Right, which. So they've had to move in because the, yeah, which kind of explains why the, the uh, portraits on the wall. Then, yeah, it is a bit so, bizarre, baffling otherwise. Yeah. Um, so there is, and, and I think there's the suggestion that Max Maxable made Waterfield bankrupt in order to get him in the house and then harness his scientific know-how to, uh, to to try and build. On the off chance you'll meet an alien race who will teach me how to make gold. Right? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to to build the time machine because yeah, obviously time travel has opens up a lot of possibilities. <laughs> I think it was just a David Whittaker thing of giving aliens very convoluted plans because like the Wheeling Space yeah. Cybermen are really <laughs> make life hard for themselves, don't they? So, yeah. And ironically, that Wheeling Space series is a clip from this very episode. Or was it from episode two where the uh, Kennedy gets his, um, exterminated? Maybe it was episode two, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, but yeah, because I mean, the other thing that people point out is why is Maxtable so obsessed with learning how to turn base metal into gold when he's already discovered time travel, um, which is uh, much more lucrative, potentially. Ah, I've never thought of that. That's a very good point. Because <laughs> <laughs> I suppose not only you've got the, the scam with the taking the antiques forward in time, but if you bring any technology from 1967 back in time, like the transistor, you can claim to have invented it and make a fortune that way. Patent it, yeah. yeah. Or simply nip back in time and... Get like steal a load of gold or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the well, that's that story unravelled. Then. 
But the alchemy thing, it seems is more because he obviously is already wealthy. So it seems like it's more than to accrue wealth. In his case, it is about discovering the thing that people have for centuries sought after, to have been the one to discover it. I think, isn't it? So time travel's on top of the list, and now it's gold is number two. Yeah, that's it. You've uh, yeah. Don't rest on your laurels once you've uh, once you've discovered time travel. I suppose. Well, the third one would have been the electric razor. Yeah. <laughs> That's one hell of a beard. It's great, though, isn't it? I think he's um, he's a brilliant character. It's, this is. Um, I think the actor was meant to be something in his day as well, wasn't he? Not somebody I'm particularly aware of, but they always say what he was a bit of a casting coup. Marius Goring, yeah, that um, was paid more than Patrick Troughton for this story. Really? Well, that went down. Yeah. Well, um, I think in I think this is in the Black Archive as well. I won't give away this whole book because I do recommend that you buy it and read it. It's excellent. Um, Fraser Hines said, "Well, Patrick Troughton probably wouldn't have minded if he'd known because uh, they were friends and they worked together oh. on uh, on other TV shows and stuff." And he had three ladies to entertain him as well, so he was probably right. <laughs> yeah, um, and I suppose because he's a big name as well, it adds prestige to the uh, to, to the show itself. I suppose. And, yeah. uh, but no, I think he's uh, he's an excellent character. The look of him with the huge beard and the and the crazy hair and the cigars and all that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, and his descent into madness. And the one scene made me laugh out loud when he just um, tells Warfield he's sick to death of him. I just thought, yeah. <laughs> I literally thought that myself about two seconds earlier <laughs> when yeah. he said that. I thought that was absolutely yeah. glorious. So, uh. And the other thing it goes about Maxwell is he doesn't die at the end. Oh, I suppose not. No, he's um, running around with the Dalek, and we have to assume he gets hit by the crossfire or something. But yeah, well, I, I like to think he's still there. So somewhere on Scorra, there's a Victorian gentleman wandering around going, kill, 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 kill. Dalek, yeah. Yeah. What would have been brilliant would be if in Destiny of the Daleks they just found him sitting in a cave or something. Or like <laughs> just a random skeleton in Victorian clothes, yeah. No, just still alive, but just sitting, sitting mumbling to himself. Yeah. Tom Baker would have loved that. Too. Yeah. Maybe trying to start a fire with two sticks to light a cigar or something. Or in Asylum of the Daleks. They could have, uh, they could have just walked past the cell with him inside. That would have been uh, really mad. Daleks is actually human. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose that would have um, kind of undone the thing with the asylum of the Daleks of the Clara Splinter being in a, in a Dalek. Might have muddied the waters a little bit. You never know. Big Finish might do a story where there's suddenly a, a mad Victorian gentleman comes from Scorus. You can only hope they do everything else. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of in episode two now, wasn't it? Yeah, so something made me think here is this could be like an early uh, an early example of an, of an unseen adventure because the Daleks already know about Jamie, don't they? Yeah, which is a bit surprising. Do you think that was it would have been Ben, but then they've suddenly had to change it quickly because of the cast change? Uh, potentially, yeah, because originally Ben and Polly were going to be in the first two episodes of this and then be written out once they moved to Victorian times. So right. things sort of shifted around. So the literature just got left. and then Yeah, um, because the plan was for Samantha from the uh, Faceless Ones, was it Pauline Collins. With her terrible hat. Yeah, to become a companion. Um, but then when she thought about it, she turned it down, so they had to sort of... Um, I hope they only made the hat. Have a <laughs> rethink. Um, so that was when uh, when Victoria comes in, but uh, it seems when you listen to it, I think it seems like Molly. Yeah, you know, I've written that there, Molly, potential companion. Yeah, she's she's got the rapport with Jamie, you know, right from the off. She's got the thing where she's um, 
she'll go against Maxtable um, to uh, you know to, to help Jamie, and she's sort of filling in with information. And they've got they've got a really good rapport, haven't they? She's got a sort of a historic thing going on as well, which is like match um, Jamie's sort of yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote that. I thought three compen- uh, uh, potential companions, even Ruth, in a way, because um, she ends up in exactly the same position, orphaned. Uh, like uh, destitute, houseless, so I mean, she could have gone off as well. She's probably slightly more austere as a companion, but uh, yeah, and you'd have to kill off um, poor old Arthur Terrell, wouldn't you? Yeah, at that point, or, or just um, electric eating Mr. Tyrrell. Yes, yeah, or, not quite or, sure how that works. <laughs> you'd have to do um, have her do a rose and uh, <laughs> and just say thanks. What for? Exactly. All that. But the same, from episode two, you would really think that Molly was the companion to be, wouldn't you? Mm. Maybe the, the idea was just to try characters out and to see which stuck, so to speak. But uh, Yeah, that's sort of um, season 24. Hedging the bets after the previous idea. story. Well, if that one doesn't work out, we'll have another one in the wings, so to yeah. speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, the other thing about that is Jamie doesn't seem all that phased by the Daleks, does he? He doesn't have... I suppose he's kind of used to aliens by now, but... Uh, he's not... Well, what's the, uh, he's not been in that many stories, though, has he? He's had crabs and Cybermen, I think, hasn't he? Yeah. And fish people. But he's a he's a. I mean, bit if you look at a fish person, you can put up with anything, really, after that. Can't yeah. You? He's a little bit out of it in the moon base, though, isn't he? True. He's unconscious for a fair bit of that. Yeah. But I still think he'd, he'd, he'd have... Perhaps. Mind you, now, there's a, there's a huge... Um, there's a gap between... Um, Macra and Faceless Ones, which uh, Big Finish is uh, filled with enthusiasm now, so he's had loads of adventures yeah. these days, so he's uh, slightly more used to it. But in uh, terms of the actual television continuity, no, as I said again, Ben had met them before, so I suppose he would be... But if that's in Victorian times, then maybe... Because uh, he doesn't actually see one till well into the actual story, does he? Either? No. From the Daleks' point of view, it's the photo, isn't it, that, that lures them in, which would make sense with Ben. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have the reaction you would expect, probably, anyway. He's... Uh, He's, he's fairly... I actually re- realised this was the first time I've actually listened to episode two. Because prior to that, when I've done like a grand rewatch, I've sort of like yeah. listened to the first episode, watched the second episode, then gone back to it. So it's the first time I've actually heard right. what it said. It was quite interesting to hear him describing what um, previously I'd seen. So it was yeah. like... Uh, I suppose it's, uh, we're getting more and more used to that now because they've, they've discovered... Uh, various episodes, so we actually can compare to what they've said to what uh, they've actually um, was actually shown at the time. But uh, no, it was unique for me to listen to uh, part two. Uh, I didn't listen to it. I watched it, <gasps> uh, and I watched the you know the other footage. I think it's called the Last Dalek. Yes, on the Lost in Time disc. Yeah, which is the Dalek city and the sort of the battle at the end with the Emperor Dalek. I'm so pleased that exists. Yeah, it was nice to see it. Episode. On the other hand, the animation will be marvellous for it, won't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. And less Louis Marks Daleks running around. Yeah. Which, the best one in the world, don't look entirely brilliant. So. Yeah, it's a, an odd decision. Yeah, not only do they not look right, they also paint them differently to the other Daleks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think they, um, they, they did for the, uh, for the Emperor's Guard, mm-hmm. they, they still painted the tops black. But they are quite a different shape, aren't they? They are yeah. a, bit, a bit pointy and stuff. But they paint black further down. They do the neck rings as well, I think, don't they? Just the domes, ah, the rest of the domes, so domes yeah. in inverted commas. Yeah, squares. But the um, yeah, the the Dalek City stuff all looks great. Um, oh yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a beautiful model. But yeah, and not a million miles away from the Dalek City in the Daleks as well. It's got it sounds the same. Yeah. <laughs> 
But there's similar sort of architecture and things like and that. And TV, Doctor Who knows about a door which he never actually used on the series as well. But Because uh, he says they found that door which leads them into the city, which he didn't have to, of course, use in the actual show itself. But uh, maybe another missing episode. Yeah. Missing story, rather. But I think that, yeah. And, and the Doctor knows about the Dalek Emperor as well, doesn't he? Mm. Um, which has never been mentioned... In, uh, it's, it's only in the comic strips, I think, isn't it? Which David, David Whittaker wrote. So it's probably where he <laughs> imagined it from, yeah. Yeah, so it's... It uh, is a shame that so much of this doesn't exist, because the, mm. the thought of seeing Daleks scuttling around in a Victorian mansion is so um, quintessentially Doctor Who, isn't it? I was just yeah, saying. which I suppose did get a bit of that in episode two, which, which is quite good. I suppose the, the bits I'd love to see are the, the Dalek Emperor, those scenes, the battle, the city, Maxible going mad. Mm. Madder um, throughout the story. I would be hoping for a lot of eye rolling, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that we've got the fight between Jamie and Kemmel that goes on for quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. It's uh, a little bit of Paddy. Um, I'm intrigued by uh, Maxible because obviously he's not a, uh, a gentleman who does work himself, so he's obviously hired in some uh, people to come into his house and put in like a. Uh, uh, Axes that swing and uh, like blades that come out of doors and stuff. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder how he explained that one. <laughs> yeah. I've been having trouble with burglars or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. You uh, set up some booby traps and death traps in my house. Thank yeah. you. Who would you even? Only in the south wing, though. Just in the south wing. <laughs> Who'd you phone to get a quote for that? And would you get two or three quotes to, uh, <laughs> to get the best deal? Use the cheap one, and then the blades don't work. Yeah. And this is the other thing about the Daleks' plan, isn't it? Of uh, putting Jamie in a situation uh, like that to test his responses and to try and find the human factor, but any one of those traps could have killed him stone dead very oh. early on, and they wouldn't have learned anything. Or Kemmel could have said he broke his neck on the first yeah. meeting, and that would have been that. <laughs> and they keep saying to TV's Doctor Who, we don't trust you, and yet we're relying on you for our entire master plan. Yeah. Again, doesn't entirely make sense. No, no. But it's not a story I think you have to uh, think about too much. You just... Enjoy it. It's some of the best Doctor Who stories. You just you just enjoy um, as they go along, and then you, you don't. They don't bear too much close examination. So yeah, the it. concept of hand wavium, I think it's um, used this one. <laughs> this one has more hand wavium than other stories, I think. But uh, anyway. yeah, because it's interesting that they only want Jamie, don't they? They uh, they yeah, say because that of his experience in time, but not the Doctor, because he's had too much experience in time. Yeah. So why the human factor would be affected by the fact that he's been a time traveller? Or he's had these different experiences. It really makes no sense at all. Yeah, it's the well. There's, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? Because the there's the idea that Jamie knows more because he's travelled through time. But the humans that would normally defeat them, I guess, in like a Terry Nation story, the sort of hard bitten soldier types that Terry Nation um, hmm. prefers to put the Daleks up against. Called Terrant. Yeah, they're, they're nothing like Jamie, and they haven't no. travelled through time. So, but and the, but they think the doctor's human, but has been changed significantly by his traveling through time, which made made me think a little bit of River Song. That's like that kind of idea that by being conceived in the TARDIS in the time vortex, that she was granted, uh, you know, from coming from human parents was was granted more than human abilities and. Uh, the ability to regenerate and so on. But that, again, that wouldn't really suit the purposes for the dog's um, actual plan, though, would it? No, but just the idea that that time travel does affect 
can, you know, can make you... It's affected you just enough for what we want. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I suppose. And then the, the whole idea of, of taking the, the human factor as a tangible thing which you can, uh, which you can put into Daleks. Back to Tyrrell again. Why? <laughs> why, why did they do that to him? What was the purpose other than moving Victoria through the house? Which, yeah. basically, Maxtable could have done, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, there is, it, it is odd with Tyrrell, isn't it? Um, we'll put a box in your pocket so you don't need to eat or drink, so you can eat electric. Yeah. We'll give you self-will sometimes, but not other times. And because we'll have you doing jobs which other people could have done for us without actually rousing suspicion. So it's like when he kidnaps Jamie, or when he gets Toby to take Jamie to the stables... I couldn't decide whether that was Tyrrell in a moment of lucidity trying to rescue Jamie because Jamie was already where Maxtable needed him. He was in the room with the portrait of Victoria's mother so that he knew what Victoria looked like, ready to start the plan. So really was, quite scary, judging by that portrait, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was that Tyrrell thinking, I'm going to try and save this young guy from having to... Dodge axe blades and spikes coming out of the floor. But was he not asking about Victoria Waterfield or something? But there, isn't that once he becomes confused? Oh, is that later on? Yeah. I think that's once he be once he starts to become confused, and then he says, "Toby, no, I didn't ask you to bring him out here." But I couldn't decide whether that whether that was when he was completely under the control or not. He say it's not clear. Yeah. So it yeah, could possibly just be a way of uh, padding out the show and giving the Daleks something to exterminate in later episodes because it was. Uh, Toby's only real purpose was to be shot, basically, wasn't yeah. he? he um, yeah, because it gives him a cliffhanger as well, doesn't it? Yeah. That, um, when, uh, when Jamie's kidnapped. Yeah, that's good. And there's, um, there's some mirroring there, isn't there? In the 1960s, Kennedy tries to steal from Waterfield's shop. And gets and shot by a Oh, I see, and yeah. And, uh, Toby comes in, and uh, it made me think it's sort of about the human factor in... Because the Doctor makes the point about... They just want the sort of the, the virtuous characteristics of humans. Um, I think yeah, she says the virtues or something, doesn't he? Um, and then you've got these other characters who are displaying, um, you know, kind of greed and avarice and stuff like that. And they are the ones that are killed by the Daleks, but not the ones who kind of get one over on the Daleks. So crime doesn't pay, kids. No, it's a, it's a, an excellent message. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from them, but um, yeah, the thing about the, the, the human factor as something that you could put into the Daleks made me think about Dalek from the 2005 series. The idea that Rose's uh, when Rose touches a Dalek, it absorbs something tiny off her, yeah, but from her DNA, it gets the same sense of a little bit of morality. Oh, good point, human factor. Oh, maybe then, <coughs> and that ability to question. Uh, question, question itself and its orders and uh, <clears throat> yes question question so I, I think it feels like this has been quite a story that has influenced um, you know everything from Dalek to obviously later in the 2005 series Parting of the Ways you've got the Emperor Dalek again you've got Evolution of the Daleks that's the human and the Daleks and the, the I just wrote Daleks. when I was listening to it Tyrrell, Dalek stooge, who does stuff that actually delays their plans. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then we come to Kemmel. There's a character we probably wouldn't get today. No. There's... And if he was, he probably wouldn't be treated quite like that, because it, um, it is a bit awkward <laughs> listening to that bit, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty indefensible, isn't it? It's, uh, it's difficult these days, so, uh, yeah. 
But as I say, the friendship between him and Jamie is quite nice, and I think um, you do miss, uh, regret his um, death at the end, so uh, that's nice. But it, it, it is problematic, that first bit, especially when he's sort of stripped and asked to perform for the Daleks, basically. Mm. That's a bit tricky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not good. Mm-hmm. So We'll bypass that. <laughs> I hadn't realised it's the same actor that plays Kra uh, in... The man with the golden gun, who's the, the guy that's running all the machinery on Scaramanga's Island. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew he was an ice warrior. Yeah, yeah, I think he's, he's all the ice warriors, I think, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's, ah, he's, been, he's been in all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. He's not. <laughs> he's uh, obviously couldn't play two ice warriors at once. But yeah, so he's. Uh, he's <laughs> if he could, they'd have given it a go. Yeah. He'd have it just <laughs> running around corners, yes. Yeah, he's, he's, all the, he's, he's in all the ice warrior stories of the 20th century run. I think he's still with us as well, isn't he? He's, uh, yeah, I think he is. He's contributed to uh, various DVDs over the years. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, because I looked him up on IMDb and he's, he's still in things fairly recently. Uh, got a lovely voice you could die for, but I can't really see that as an eye boy. But, uh, no. Anyway, so we've got basically two episodes now, is it, of them sort of like negotiating? Well, we've missed it there, yeah. One thing. Was very strange was this business of the doctor manipulating Jamie the way he does. It's quite, uh, yeah, it really is quite dark. It's like his shades of the seventh doctor there, hasn't it? Again, it and then in the next story, he's quite manipulative again. So, whether that was the way the, uh, the production team at the time were thinking of taking, yeah, the character of the doctor, I don't know, but it's really, it's really quite dark the way he sort of like, like maneuvers Jamie into doing this. And he's quite open about it with other characters to say, I will do this to Jamie, and in effect, does, yeah, it's not what you think of. As the second Doctor at all, um, you've got that kind of your immediate thought of him is is that sort of uh, clownish, uh, kind of very friendly. But yeah, this story it, it does go like that, doesn't it? When and the the conflict between the Doctor and Jamie, um, I think it's probably Jamie's best story to be honest. I think Fraser Hines gets probably his best material here when he has to rail against the Doctor and and this. The second time they... they and it does hurt him because they argue about it later as well, don't they? So yeah. And he even says, I'm through. The second one, yeah, when he says, well, yeah, we're through after this. Um, and you've got to think for audiences at the time, I suppose, who've just say goodbye to um, Ben and Polly, you mm. know, kind of un- unceremoniously in the previous story. Um, they probably... And it's... The end of the season, so it's yeah. Jefferson companion time. Yeah. I don't know if they, if, it, if it had the same awareness in those days of season finales and, and season... Possibly not, because it was basically on forever, wasn't it? Yeah, but you, they must have thought at this stage because there'd been such a such a turnover, I guess. Over, you know, the last sort of um, twelve, eighteen months before that, they probably thought, oh, yeah, this is, this will be the end of uh, of Jamie. Then there'll be a new companion coming aboard. Um, but yeah, I think those scenes are absolutely brilliant. I think Patrick Grant and Fraser Hines are, are great together in this. And so it's just intriguing the way this story and the very next one is probably the second Doctor at his most manipulative. So it was obviously the. Uh, the idea of the time within the production team, and then probably he goes back to being quite uh, fun and jovial in his next story, doesn't it? But yeah, uh, yeah, all the stuff about... Plus all the hints that he kind of knows what's going on. Yeah. He kind of knows what the result will be, because, I mean, he, he has a line some part about saying uh, about the, it could be the end. Um, yeah, Waterfield says this, this could be the end, of, um, the end of a species or something, and he says something like, I don't think you quite know what you're saying, mm. but it could well come to that. So he kind of knows, doesn't he? So... I think he knows the effect. And if he has that bigger picture, this could all be part of his master plan to destroy the Daleks, and he's using Jamie as part of that. Well, he is using Jamie as part of that, isn't he? Because uh, yeah, 
Um, and without much compunction, it's not like um, Genesis of the Daleks, do I have the right, is it? It's very... Mm. And he keeps those um, things to later infect the Daleks with, and he keeps them on his person, doesn't he? Mm. So he, he's obviously intending to use it. Yeah, and, and once he's... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like the first Dalek story in getting the Thals to fight. He and Ian getting the, the Thals to fight, knowing that a lot of them are going to get killed. The, the new sort of the, the Daleks with the human factor, he's encouraging them to fight and defend themselves. He knows there's going to be an almighty battle where they, you know, they're going to wipe each other out. Um, but he doesn't feel any sense of responsibility towards this species, basically, he's just created, does he? No, no, it doesn't. Um, there's later that wonderful cartoon, isn't there? Doctor Who uh, Monthly, uh, or Doctor Who Magazine, where they actually go back to um, a whole race of Daleks, and which. Um, uh, sort of like have evolved from those particular Daleks, so uh, ah right, yeah, it's very good. And uh, I don't think I remember that one. And they even bring out a uh, there's even a uh, a action figure of uh, one of the Daleks from that comic strip, which is like the little Omega, I think, or Alpha, one of them anyway. One of them survived and uh, went on to propagate. Ah right, dull but true. I've got the human factor is based on wrestling, falling out of windows, and lace hankies. <laughs> It's interesting that he calls one of them Omega, isn't it? In uh, in hindsight of uh, Alpha, Beta, Omega. Yeah, yeah, I suppose in terms of the second Doctor appearing in the third, in the three Doctors with Omega, and the Daleks pursuing the hand of Omega in remembrance of the Dalek. That's a good science fiction name, I think. It is, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it is a good name. Uh, the other thing is when uh, going back to episode two, when the Doctor wakes up in the study in Maxtable's house. And Molly says something like, uh, the master's brought you here or something like that. And the way that Patrick Champ says the master, like a really suspicious way, it's got a lot of weight retrospectively, oh, yes, you can, doesn't uh, it? Yes, you can uh, do lots of stuff with hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's, there's, uh, it's just a great way that he delivers it. Uh, yeah, you can, uh, some, some retconning continuity you can put in there. Ooh, marvellous, I love a bit of that. Yeah. I put in big letters, all this had turned metal into gold. Sad face. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a bit of an anticlimax as uh, ambitions go. I suppose it's different though. It's not like uh, trying to take over the world or something, is it? It's, it's purely got quite a parochial uh, ambition in life. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I think that must be to be the person that, that discovered it mm. rather than for wealth because... He's obviously quite a rich chap already, but yeah, then, can you ever be too rich? And with the time travel. Although I suppose he's beholden to the Daleks for the time travel because they don't use their cabinet full of mirrors to travel to the 1960s. They use Dalek technology for that. True. So suggesting that their time machine doesn't really work, all it did was Act as uh, a lure, attract, maybe. attract yeah. the Daleks. Yeah. I suppose what, what Maxwell could have done was um, when Waterfield went forward in time to 1967, you could say... And yeah, go to the library and have a look in the history books and see if I am famous as the man <laughs> who discovered the transmutation of metals. Well, it turns out he's actually famous for a man whose house exploded for no yeah. apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and I took out he, a mile of countryside. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wouldn't be the guy that, that invented it, though, would he? Because he'd just been gifted it by the Daleks, so although he would have taken credit for it. And I suppose that's kind of like the way he treated Waterfield. He, uh, you know, bankrupted him well, although that's not in the finished script, but the idea was he bankrupted him to get him to come and live there to use his 
scientific know-how to, to bring about time travel. Mm. So uh, kept us a sense that he would, uh, and I suppose probably like a rich industrialist of the Victorian times, isn't he? He's uh, he's using the toil of others to, to make himself rich. It's sort of like a Victorian feel to the whole thing, though. Because I mean, like the Daleks threatening to feed Victoria is sort of like a very sort of suffragette's idea, isn't it? So it was obviously yeah in the zeitgeist of the time, which I quite liked. Mm. I've had written um, there. Part four starts to feel a bit padded. Because, uh, <laughs> I think the uh, negotiating the house does get a bit weir- wearisome after a bit. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, Poor it's old Victoria must think the Daleks are barking mad. They're just like, bringing her out, getting to state her name and pushing her off again. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the most, uh, yeah, most amnesiac of races. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, all that stuff, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, and then ultimately the... Dalek Emperor's plan is for the Doctor to use the TARDIS to travel throughout Earth's history, infecting humans with the Dalek factor. Despite the fact they've got time travel and the Doctor's TARDIS doesn't work very well. Yeah. And only all this is for planet Earth as well, apparently. Yeah, which, um, I mean, I suppose a lot of this maybe comes afterwards, but that sort of racial purity idea of the Daleks. It's more about having people, because they, they totally accept Maxable as a Dalek, once he just thinks he is a Dalek and talks like a Dalek. Hmm. Again, later stories would probably go against that because any sort of like uh, impurities in Daleks, they'd probably start shooting, don't they? Yeah. Because they're human. Uh, but, uh, you've got... Because uh, that's the first thing that the, the new paradigm ones do, isn't it? In victory of the Daleks, once they... Uh, or maybe it's purely so they can invade because knowing that the uh, humans won't try and stop them anymore. Yeah. We'll put it down to that. So, but Doctor Who drinks wine, explanation mark. Yeah. confronting Tyrrell, which is uh, very laid back of him. That's it, more third Doctor, that, isn't it? When he's uh, in Day of the Daleks, when he's, uh, he's sampling the, um, was it Reginald Styles' wine <laughs> uh, collection? Yeah. That's what uh, Will Big Finish do, the Tyrrell, Molly and Ruth adventures. Because they go off in their, <laughs> uh, in a cart, don't they, into their uncertain future. Because presumably, like, uh, all Ruth stuff's destroyed as well. Yeah. So she's now penniless. Molly hasn't got a job, and uh, Tyrrell's probably been driven quite out of his mind by all this, hasn't he? So they're they're even though they survive, they're going to quite an uncertain future. Yeah. What what where, where does it, how does this compare with the uh, what year are the Paternoster gang running around London? We're in. Um, this is eighteen sixty six, aren't we? So, I mean, the last uh, the, the thing. Well, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because it's it's quite a nebulous time. But uh, mm. would they know to go and seek them out? I've got a feeling the pattern must be on with 1890s, but I'm not, I'm not too far off. Sure, yeah. Uh, uh, no, but the other thing it made me think of was, um, just to go back there, the idea of turning humans into Daleks with a Dalek factor. It's more like the sort of uh, communist sort of science fiction, or, you know, kind of fear of communism science fiction of like body snatchers and things than the fear of Nazis that the Daleks traditionally were. You know, that sort of um, your ideology being corrupted and things like that, so you start to think like them. Mm. I've also put, are are the Daleks robots again? Because if the Doctor's influencing a positronic brain rather than the brains of the creatures, are they now robots? I think he said that the the device that he's created from the examinations of the human factor of positronic brains that he's going to put into the Daleks. Right, because I misunderstood that, because I sort of like got... The idea that if the Daleks had positronic brains, I thought, oh, 
I think he calls them positronic brains empower the Daleks, but I think in this he says the devices that, that he's created are positronic brains that, right. will be, um, that will be put into the Daleks. Then I shall let David Whittaker up on that one. Yeah. <laughs> says, the doctors like interrogating Tyrrell despite having never met him. <laughs> They've never, oh, sort of yeah, never actually come across before, yet he has this sort of like big confrontation with somebody he knows nothing about and has no reason to have any suspicions over him. Is that the first time he's met him? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he, I think he could be right. Yeah, and he just goes in and, and sort of says, well, why do you never eat or drink? Yeah, based um, on what? Yeah. Based on not having a glass of wine during this, <laughs> this moment, yeah. And he also says, well, Waterfield's never seen you eat either. So it's like they've had a conversation about the guy without having met him. Yeah. I felt sorry for poor old Molly being hypnotised. That seemed a bit unfair. Yeah. Going to all these adventures and suddenly having to forget them all. I suppose it makes sense that they're trying to remove um, her having heard Victoria yeah. out of the thing. But it seems a bit of a pity, really. Well, the thing is we don't find out why she was where she was when she heard Victoria, do we? I think I might be right in saying that. Unless she was just helping Jamie or checking up on where Jamie was. I think he just heard her shouting out, didn't she, when she got, and took him to the um, south, um, to the south wing, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah, because yeah, she's just helping him along there. This is where you missed the visuals, though, because, I mean, Tyrrell could have been in the background of scenes without us realising it, and uh, yeah. we'll never know, really, isn't it? If and it's just, not yeah, just not speaking, yeah, or eating or drinking. Destroy a race, it may come to that. I wrote it down, I've written Sinister Doctor underneath it. Yeah. So in part five, he's obviously uh, knows the way that it's heading. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting scene, that isn't it? And then we've got the weirdest cliffhanger ever of Dizzy Dark uh, of the Darks, yeah. and they're saying it's uh, an interesting, amusing game. Yeah. Which is not the like the most dramatic of things, but it must be weird at the time to see the Darks behaving like that. Anybody weird and unsettling, yeah, because you you wouldn't probably quite trust them. Um, and then it cuts across all that, doesn't it? And they say, they say we've been summoned back to Scarrow at that point. Which is the Doctor's first trip back to Scarrow, is it? Uh, the first I think so. Story, yeah. Yeah. Or first televised one, because say there's no his way around, doesn't he? We've been there twice because we've got the Cushing Doctor had exactly the same adventure, didn't he? But, uh, yeah. Yeah, because they don't go there in the chase, do they? They don't go in there in uh, Master Glance, so, yeah. No. Then we got Dizzy Doctor. And Daleks being friendly sounding incredibly creepy. Yeah. Do you find they sound more sinister being nice than they do being nasty? Yeah, there's something about the voices being friendlier and happier is, is weird, isn't it, with the with the ring modulation mm. and uh, than when they're just barking orders and threatening it's, to them. I found this bit a bit confused as well because they want the doctor to do all this stuff, but the doctor has to make his own way back to Scorrow. They set off a bomb then leave Maxibel to deal with it. And they basically, they all, all could have been blown up in the house. With um, like the Doctor, Jamie, and Maxibel all could have been blown up and um, completely knackered their plans, in effect, wasn't it? They've got a huge amount of faith in the Doctor and Jamie, though. Uh, the Doctor's ability to follow the clues to, Despite to the, get him to the They're reiterating <laughs> that they don't trust him all the time. Yeah. We don't trust you, but you're going to do everything for us. They, they trust his abilities, his abilities to survive. Yeah. Uh, to follow clues, Jamie's ability to, uh, to to ward off all the traps and uh, and, and Kemmel's. Uh, I can't quite see why they take Kemmel and Victoria to Scorrow as well. Basically, their purposes—they've served their purpose, really, haven't they? Yeah, 
Um, as well, Victoria's obviously been lined up for the for the companion role, but uh, but yeah, Kemmel's the sort of character that would have would have disappeared by that point normally, isn't he? Yeah, it'd have been killed off or uh, maybe gone off with um, Molly and. Uh, so other than so Max Bell can show how strong he is as a Dalek later by killing this big bloke off. Mm. I suppose well, it's, uh, in terms of the Daleks, you think why would they actually need these people there? Yeah. Maybe just uh, bargaining chips for uh, if they uh, need to uh, threaten somebody to make the doctor comply later on. One thing I had forgotten is the doctor and everybody arrived outside the city as well. I'd, in my head, mm. I rem- I'd imagined them being taken by the dogs and arriving inside the city. I'd completely forgotten that they arrived outside the city and uh, under their own steam, in effect. Yeah. A bit like sort of Magician's Apprentice on the... Uh Oh, I never thought of that, yes. Outside the city, yeah. Maybe uh, Missy and Clara could have bumped into Maxible. <laughs> Just wandering around. It was nice to have the same sound effects inside the city, though. It was sort of like pleasing to my fanboy heart, I have yeah. to Yeah, that's true. The other thing, speaking of the Magician's Apprentice, reminded me of when you've got the Emperor Dalek that's all um, hooked up with all the uh, cables and stuff. It'll be like Davros is in this one. Yeah. Davros, yeah, which... Uh, partly with cables ooh. and partly with snakes. Yeah, but it hints that, um, as Remembrance of the Daleks does, that, uh, that Davros eventually becomes the Emperor. So we get a sneaky Dalek pretending to be Omega, which is quite good. Yeah, that's a really good scene. And another it? thing I completely yeah. forgotten about as well, which is... Uh, so I have to say I've enjoyed re-listening to this, which is not... Because best one of the world, the um, things on audio, I think you, you don't uh, review as often as things on television, do no. you? Because they just simply just don't get the, uh, the coverage. You don't get DVDs, they don't get uh, later box sets, do they? So you yeah, just don't catch re-releases them that yeah. revisit them. Yeah. Which I suppose is the point of this uh, record. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's good. Well, they also, also released the, the, the little record with Doctor Who magazine, uh, the issue before last, which was a special edition of Doctor Who magazine, which I think it's got episode seven of the Evil of the Daleks without the commentary. Right. Uh, so you can listen to it um, as it originally was broadcast, if mm. you had your eyes closed. Um, and then sort of samples <laughs> of... Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> samples of, of sort of Dalek sound effects and Dalek voices and things like that on the, uh, on the other one. Because the original CD, there was a, a bit without the, audio, without the commentary on, wasn't there? Without the narration. Yeah, my my CD, which is it's not the one that was released in the box set with Power of the Daleks. I think oh. I, I just got the the separate one, the standalone release. Uh, yeah, the last disc has got some bits and pieces. It's got the the dialogue of um, the Doctor introducing the repeat of Evil of the Daleks right. to Zoe, um, uh, and yeah, a few other bits and pieces. Who narrated the cassette version then? Because I can't. Uh, I never. I didn't buy that. Tom Baker. It was one another one of his, was it? Cause, uh, yeah, uh, it was Tom Baker. This is something, um, again, that uh, is in the Black Archive. Uh, the comparison between the two is there's, there's way less narration um, mm. on the Tom Baker cassette one. Um, they were saying, like, the fight between uh, Kemmel and Jamie is, is just covered in a few words, whereas... On so they'd have to really truncate it to get it onto two cassettes, really seven episodes worth. So. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. I think I think I did have that at the time, um, but I don't I don't really remember it. I was probably only about twelve when it came out. Or something. So I got the power of the Daleks, and that was wonderfully batty. 
and um, Fury from the Deep as well. That was equally strange. But because yeah. uh, did John Nathan Turner write the Lincoln? I think he's Eric Sayward or Oh, was it? Oh, right. Maybe I've lost track. But uh, um, but yeah, the uh, the comparison with how much was uh, how much Lincoln narration was written for the CD, and how much more effort they went into to to try and um, to to guess what was in there. Because there is, um, I will stop going on about the Black Archives, but it, it is a brilliant book. Uh, the lady that wrote the Lincoln nar- narration for the CDs um, sort of was interviewed by Simon Gerrier and talked about how she, you know, looked at the um, the cameras, telesnaps, oh, uh, telesnaps, uh, the, uh, uh, and the the camera scripts and things like that to to figure it out. But I think, especially with the fight, had to sort of write it as though she was writing a radio play for some of it um, to you know sort of keep it moving because. So in effect, basically, it is what she approximates yeah. to be able to pattern to write. Yeah. So really, we don't really know whether that's the exact, um, exactly the story as broadcast, do we? As we will never know, I suppose. But that's it. And that's really the theme of, uh, of the book, is about how, you know, with varying degrees, you can, you know, uh, the recreate the authenticity mm. of watching it in 1967. You know, it talks about the... Uh, John Peel's novelization, listening to the, the tapes, the CDs, the, the telesnaps, all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, because uh, I think it's, it's something like five minutes of just two men sort of, uh, you know, occasionally, um, you know, kind of crying out in pain or, or grunting and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't help one of them mute either, does it? So, I mean, there's even less to uh, work on. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, it's just sort of, uh, yeah, figuring out from the, from the telesnaps, the camera scripts, um, and then just just trying to make it sound compelling, I think. Mm. Yeah. At least we have this, yeah. though, because, I mean, had um, fans not recorded this stuff, it would have been gone forever, wouldn't it? Which would have been a tragedy, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's remarkable how many people are recording it as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's something, as a kid, I never occurred to me to do, to put a... Because I'm old enough to remember the yeah. world before videos, just about. And, yeah. uh, no, it never occurred to me to uh, record stuff... Uh, to listen to later, so that'd be no use. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he talks about um, Ian Levine would, would record them as well um, and then listen to them, but because he sort of, I think, sort of reused some of the tapes, he would sort of get an exercise book and, and write down everything he could remember seeing uh, and use the tapes as, as prompts and right. the dialogue and things like that so that he had some sort of record of it. But I think it's really organised, isn't it? I don't think I was ever that dedicated. <laughs> no, but it must it just must have been a nightmare to miss an episode as well in those days. You know, if it was a first well, I mean, part happened, of the yeah. story, um, it'd just be gutted. <laughs> I have an early memory of being in town when I was a child and seeing Basil Brush was on, actually on a television set in a shop window yeah. and thinking, if we don't get back soon... It's yeah. going to be, uh, <laughs> going to be started off with you. Yeah, I can remember that really clearly, the anxiety of that. Yeah. I also remember being in this hotel in Bridlington and trying to persuade everybody in the hotel uh, TV lounge, that was in the days before, with TVs in every room, to, yeah. to watch Sapphire and Steel, because there was an episode of that I wanted to watch. So, right. And being young and gorgeous, I managed to persuade them all, but uh, it was hard work, I remember that. These days, everybody, it's just like television in everybody's uh, room, and it doesn't matter if you do miss anything anyway, doesn't it? But, yeah, you've got, you've got a catch-up option. They never put TVs in shop windows anymore, do they? Is it because they're too big? Possibly, maybe they're just too at risk of being stolen, maybe, or something. But yeah. yeah I suppose modern maybe it's not that novel anymore, are they? You mean, yeah. gazing at a telly on a, um, in a shop window when it, you've got one in your pocket, in effect. Why bother? Yeah, that's true. It's, it's sort of part of the... Um, 
sort of uh, lexicon of, of old movies and TVs, isn't it? Of, of characters walking past a shop with loads of uh, TV screens and learning something which is, uh, you know, sort of pertinent to yeah. the, to the storyline. Or crowds gathered around watching something, yeah. Yeah, I suppose the other one is the, um, I suppose more in America, is the, uh, you know, seeing the newspaper headlines on a newsstand, you know, it's like in The Godfather, oh, thing, yeah. isn't it? When, um, doesn't, doesn't Michael Corleone find out that his dad's been shot or something? From a, oh, I can't remember so long since I've seen yeah. it, but... Uh, but yeah, you'd never, I mean, I suppose part of the excess of these 60-inch TVs now, you'd, you'd fit very few in a shop window, <laughs> would you, for uh, <laughs> for a display? Not really. But if we only had to rely on people's memories, we didn't have these sound recordings, we'd have a really distorted view of what these shows were like. Cause yeah. I remember when the videos first started coming out, stuff I remember seeing as a child, actually seeing it, I was... The way I remember it was completely wrong. Mm. So, uh, you'd, like, whole scenes I'd uh, imagined weren't there, and yeah. um, things I did... Um, I could remember, I'd remember out of context and stuff like that. So we'd have a really such a, a weird, distorted view of what was actually on the television. I suppose the, the other thing is the target novelizations uh, have that effect as well, don't they? That they, they describe things looking uh, more impressive or, or grand. And or things actually happening which didn't happen on screen and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. that, was the, that was found out quite a big shock. When I first started getting the videos, I was like, the uh, target books lied. Yeah. There's whole scenes <laughs> in the books which didn't actually appear on television and stuff. It was like there's a, a scene in a console room in the Revenge of the Cybermen. And when I got to the end, yeah. they said, there's no console room. I was genuinely quite shocked by that. <laughs> of course, yeah, season 12 doesn't have any. No. Yeah, TARDIS and TV scenes. Yeah, they just have him coming out with a bit of uh, tape around his uh, shoulders, don't they? But, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I've got to, why do they want... A rubbish TARDIS to spread the Dalek factor when they already have time travel? Question mark. Maybe they can only travel. Maybe it's like the time tunnel in Resurrection of the Daleks, and they can only travel between Scarrow and is it Canterbury? There, Cambridge, Canterbury, where they are. 1866. Well, they had like a fully functioning. Oh yeah, and Daleks in the chase, didn't they? So. Yeah, that's true. I think they have a different offshoot. <sighs> I think they can travel between Scarrow. 1966 London and 1867. And with the uh, Doctor's TARDIS, and like uh, they could just take a long time to spread yeah, the human factor. Yeah, like I mean, if he if he took off with the next trip would be a few infected scientists from yeah. Telos, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and some monks. <laughs> it would have been very the long way round. Yeah, then some monks. Yeah, that wouldn't be uh, take a while. Yeah, yeah, because his next trip into Earth's history is. It'll be the No, it'll be the abominable snowman. Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah. So, yeah, the 1930s would have been, uh, but that's not as far back as they want to go, presumably, because they've already got the 19th century. Mind it, sadly, all the, um, the contemporary stories are all now quite historical as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, what's that? And they just want to do this to Earth? Question mark. Well, that's quite important to the Daleks, isn't it? Seems to be. <laughs> Do they want another go at hollowing out the uh, the magnetic core? Flicking through YouTube and stuff, this story is incredibly popular with people who like to make things and uh, do animations and stuff. There's dozens and dozens of people trying to recreate oh, the Emperor right. and things like that. If you yeah. go on YouTube, there's loads and loads of people having a go at this story. Because I suppose you've got the Emperor, you've got the Daleks mooching around you. Yeah, It's quite easy to do. There's less people in some of these things and stuff, isn't it? But uh, I was just uh, overwhelmed by the huge amount of um, work people have put into this. The Daleks look great animated as well. Yeah, they, they do. The power of the Daleks and uh, stuff like that. They, uh, something about the shape of them. They, 
They do look brilliant now, animations. The whole nation of people thinking this is episode six, this will be the end. Oh, there's a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because there's episode seven. The fact that episode seven exists has always baffled me because there's no real rhyme and reason for it, I can see. There's no sort of like missing episode from another story prior to that where the gap hasn't been filled in, so it's just, why seven? Yeah, it just seems to be something they... They just needed an extra episode. Yeah, said, yeah. BBC just said, can you do us another? Just, yeah. And I think it's probably most obvious in the, in the middle, isn't it, with the... Uh, it's obviously not James a surprise, because all the main cast are contracted to it, aren't they? So it's, uh, mm. it's not like it was a surprise for them. So. No. Script-wise, I guess it's the probably the middle that's maybe the most sort of uh, padded and, and, and bloated. Mm. I found the reunion between uh, Victoria and the father rather um, lacking, really. There was like... Considering yeah. we've had six episodes of like missing each other, then suddenly um, they're yeah. barely together for five seconds, aren't they? They don't yeah, really uh, in the cell together. Yeah, we don't really get so much of a reunion for them, bless them. Mm. Uh, so the other um, sense of recreating it, you're saying you're looking into the the stage play from was it two thousand and six? Yeah, they did a few of them. This um, this it's like an amateur theatre production. There's chaps with Nick Scovel, I think, was the Irish double, and um, he just did. Um, adapted Doctor Who missing stories, one of which was this one. And I was just um, having a quick flick through the day and he sort of, um, how they could have done it. And they just sort of basically took out, they had told of the 60s bit. Right. So that was it. I suppose it would be a bit pointless having a lead in from another story. So it yeah. kind of started in Victorian times and ended on Scarborough. They wrote out sort of like Toby, they wrote out Kemmel because really they don't serve a great deal to the plot and yeah. really truncated it that way. But it sounded, it sounded a fascinating thing to do. And again, Another example of like how a missing story has inspired people to do lots of, um, lots of creative things. Yeah. I suppose if we had every episode, we wouldn't do. We wouldn't have people making animations, and making stage plays and drawings and like uh, photoshops and stuff, would we? So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's the completest nature, isn't it, of Doctor Who fans <laughs> of, uh, of wanting, mm. wanting it all. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing you can never have. You can have the approximations. You know, you've got. Shard is probably the best example, isn't it? It's oh yeah, I mean that's an, and there's so many of them. Multiple <laughs> attempts to, to to complete it. Um, I think we've had the final one now. I can't imagine them doing another. No, I don't think there'd be another official one anyway. Never uh, say never, though. Uh, yeah, true. So but, yeah, the fact it's been animated twice is uh, is impressive. Two different doctors. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a suddenly we've had another reminder that Doctor Who is not human, well, which hasn't been emphasized for quite a long time. It's sort of like some stories have kind of hinted at ease, haven't they? So uh, that's quite. Uh, yeah. Well, earlier on, do you get the the Dalek saying you're more than a human because you've travelled through time? Mm. And that would be one where it'd be interesting. It's not episode two, that is it? Uh, a bit later on, about the three, I think. Somewhere. Yeah. It's not one where you can see the Doctor's face, so it'd be interesting to see how Patrick Charlton played that, I think, because um, he just doesn't contradict it. And it's later on he says... Um, he, he talks about it, he says, oh, we could, I could try taking you out of this universe completely or take you back to my own planet. Mm. That's, again, it's um, strange for the Doctor actually, A, he sort of goes against his not being able to go home and suddenly he's going to suddenly whiz people back. Yeah. And B, it's probably because it is David Whitaker writing it. He can sort of remember the original idea for the series, can't he? Mm. But yeah, he just he tries to take you back to my home planet as well, which uh, 
Yes, so. Sort of like the poetic justice of Maxwell being lured away by the uh, the formula for gold to walk through the uh, yeah through the gate and gets converted. So what have I written? Oh, did you try to hypnotize the doctor as well, or something? Uh, it's the the doctor goes through the gate as well, doesn't yeah. he? The, um, and and then he's apparently Dalekified, but it doesn't work on him because because he isn't human. Then I've got a vision in my head of um, Waterfield wearing a red shirt for the remainder of the story because he's kind of doomed. You can kind of tell, yeah. can't you? <laughs> Everything he does sort of like has like "I'm dead" written on it. So. Yeah. And we've got the poor old camel being killed, which I was um, rather um, sad at actually. But it's yeah. an amazing scene because you've got basically this um, Victorian gentleman just repeating the word "kill, kill, kill." Yeah. And then you can hear the Dalek in his head saying it as well, which is quite. I wish we could see that. It'd be quite an effective scene, I think. Yeah, because I thought it, it's creepy with Arthur Terrell as well, isn't it? Those scenes where that music kicks in, which is uh, it's like a sort of a pulsing sound, and the Dalek sort of like going obey, obey, but it's not as harsh and grating as the Dalek voice normally is. It's more maybe persuasive and repetitive and a little bit hypnotic. And I've got uh, the Civil War probably better on audio, less Louis Marx Daleks. Yeah, there's wee bit you can see. It's the best one in the world. Some, then again, you can't tell. This is somebody who's been filming an amateur uh, film, hasn't it? So you don't know what was on the screen. But yeah, it's, but it seems like they would have been switching between the full size ones and the the Louis Marx ones as well. So from production stills, you can kind of see that. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, but I can't and wait to see the animation of this because lots of people have had a go and some of the people have come up with like really good results so uh, yeah. I think this could be good. And they used those Daleks again in, in Planet of the Daleks, didn't they? So they can't have thought... That badly. I suppose they must have been quite cheap to reproduce. So, yeah. uh, and I suppose the thing is as well, when that was seen, the, uh, the screens were tiny, weren't they? Mm. Um, they're, they're tiny, they're in black and white. Then again, you'd have to be quite visually impaired not to see the difference between the two sides of Daleks. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the um, first Dalek with an iris as well. Yeah. So, in my head, I've always kind of imagined, well, is that the, like, the humanised Daleks get like a little eyeball or not? But judging about the recreated scenes of what we've seen of pictures and stuff like that, that doesn't work at all. So, for some reason, just one Dalek's and he got a little eyeball. Yeah. No idea why. And, of course, that's the one they found later. So that became the norm from Day of the Daleks onwards, didn't it? But... Uh, don't know why they did that. Yeah, just uh, that's a mystery. Because I say, I assumed in my head when I first saw that uh, that one little picture of the Dalek with the iris, oh, that must have been for the humanized Daleks. Mm. But no, looking at the uh, other scenes, the Daleks without them are fighting each other as well. So, uh, don't know. Yeah, that's odd. I prefer that little you know, iris on the eyes. Mm. I know that's not, that's not a popular view, but I do. Yeah, there's something they did with the Paradigm Daleks as well, wasn't it? They uh, they gave them more of an eyeball, I think, at the... Uh, but I should imagine, as a kid watching that, Daleks fighting each other would have been the most exciting thing ever. Yeah. Genuinely. It's very brief, though. I was quite surprised listening to it, how it's not, I suppose, a bit too expensive to do, like, a, a long scene of it, but uh, it's very brief because the, the, you hear the, uh, the Emperor shouting, do not fight in here, and it's not long before he explodes, and that's more or less it, isn't it? Yeah, and the some of the, the behind-the-scenes shots you've got of that, it must have been really impressive seeing that huge, was it, 12-foot Dalek Emperor. He's got all those panels that start to blow off and all that kind of stuff. And that, Dalek that breasts sort of as well. Really, yeah. Lots of people have pointed out the boobs, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, he doesn't have a gun or anything, does he? He's, no. he's just sort of standing there, um, booming out instructions. So presumably, he's got his uh, his worries in the background. Presumably, he thinks he's so powerful that he's untouchable. But yeah, he was wrong. Oh, production, you've just forgot to add one, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it's a it's a cool design, really cool. I suppose it it commands all the other Daleks. So really, it doesn't need a gun, does it? It can tell yeah other people to shoot, but. Uh, yeah. That's uh, there won't be that many people that get to Scarra, I suppose. And uh, Maxabel doesn't get his comeuppance, which is something I hadn't realised. But there we are. Yeah, and I suppose he's um, he's learned the secret of transmuting metal into gold. But it hasn't done him any good. Yeah, seconds before he becomes a Dalek, and it's no good to him anymore, is it? Poetic <laughs> justice, I suppose, in that. But yeah, uh, you think this was a quick scene of him being hit by crossfire or something? But yeah, I suppose we don't know. Um, it could it could be there and true. We never know, and we don't know. But Just died silently on it, screen. Yeah, or if the city was obviously being destroyed as they left, that you know he was. Uh, you know, it was clear that he would have been crushed in the in the debris. Well, we can only hope. That's it. The final end. Yeah. And then off to the TARDIS for the next adventure. Yeah, with uh, with Victoria in tow. You don't actually see them leave, so. It kind of gets concluded in the next story, as I said. So, uh, mm. the only slightly odd is the fact that there's a bit of a season gap in between. If you've gone directly into the next story, it would have made sense. It must be yeah. a bit odd for people thinking, well, what's all that about? But uh, there we are. I think there was a repeat of this. Um, After the uh, wheel in space. Um, I think there was a repeat between seasons. Really? Oh, um, I didn't realise that. I'm not sure if I read that in the complete history or somewhere like that. Because repeats were quite rare in those days, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think they were... They were uh, so pleased with this one that uh, that it was repeated after broadcast, and then the sort of canonical repeat when uh, <laughs> when the doctor shows it to Zoe. I suppose if they worked out repeat rights, once they, it would be foolish not to use it the second time, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. The other interesting, I think it was in the complete history, was uh, that the BBC had approached. Terry Nation about doing a Daleks versus Cyberman story, right? Uh, and he knocked it down. Wouldn't want the competition, so, uh, I suppose. Yeah, but uh, which we finally got a long time uh, later, <laughs> way, way, way later. But uh, it must have been something that you know the, their fans had always, uh, you know, kind of even even back in those days, must have been kind of thinking that would be awesome. If we well, as a kiddie, yeah, we used to draw Daleks, used to draw Cyberman, used to draw little laser beams between the two of them. So yeah. yes, it was in everybody's head. So. And then the reason why this was going to be the final end of the Daleks was because Terminator at this time was trying to get his Dalek TV series off the ground. Uh, the BBC had... You mean he wanted refused. more money? Surely <laughs> not. <laughs> the BBC had first refused, the lady didn't want to make it, so he took it to the American network, who probably, yeah, hadn't really heard of Daleks so much, uh, and it, it never got made. I'm surprised they were allowed to, to use the design, because I suppose... No, it's a big argument, is it? Like he owns this design as well, even though you could argue the design was BBC, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Raymond Cusack. Mm. Uh, and I think it was uh, a relative of Stephen Moffat, which uh, created the deal for Terry Nation, I think, wasn't it? Wasn't he like his mother-in-law or something I think like so, that? Yeah. yeah. I think it's, um, is it um, Feral Virtue? I can't remember. Like but uh, something like that, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, perhaps probably not wasted them <laughs> when um, Stephen Moffat was trying to... Uh, Work the Daleks into things that had to have so many appearances a year, didn't or something like that? Don't they? Or that's so many the, appearances. That's the yeah. rumor, but I think it's never been um, it's never been confirmed. They get a rather brief cameo in one series, don't they? That's literally it. 
Yeah, that um, that they've got to be in every series or they lose the rights to mm. them. But I don't think anybody any of the officials ever ever confirmed that. I'm a big fan of audio. I listen to more stuff than I actually watch, especially these days. But mm. I think this is one story where it really does miss the visuals, isn't it? Yeah. The the fight at the end between the Daleks, the, like the Daleks in the uh, in the Victorian um, manor house. Like just basically the action when like we've got two episodes of action basically haven't we where the James uh, yeah. is being tested and really it needs the visuals for that whereas most Doctor Who stories are quite dialogue read and you don't really miss that much but I think this story does even the 60s stuff would have been amazing to see like the Doctor briefing swing in 60s yeah one thing I meant to listen out for and didn't was the uh, music playing in the background in the cafe whether it was the uh, the Beatles or not and then I Never noticed, to be honest. No, I'm assuming the, it isn't on mine. On the CD, it isn't. It's no. been replaced. I can't remember what it's replaced by, but it's replaced by another contemporary piece of music because um, they they didn't get the rights. Oh, didn't Michael Jackson own the rights to all the uh, Beatles? Music? He did, yes, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't know. But uh, no, but I guess if that the CD came out in the early 2000s, it was probably when he owned all the stuff. I remember listening to it for the first time on Bonfire Night. Um, whether it came out the, the day or I bought it the day after, but it was around about November the 5th. I remember listening to it and there was fireworks going off around me. So when we got to the uh, <laughs> the final end, it was really quite dramatic. Yeah. Yes, I don't think I've ever got a more immersive experience ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember listening to it on Bonfire Night. Ah, very good. It was lucky, it was really good. <laughs> So this is our final end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review or a rating. You can find Keith on Twitter as 50DW50, now really out of date. And I'm at trap1 underscore. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>